Okay, Saints, Matthew chapter 6. Let's bow our hearts. Again, Father, we come to you and we are just excited once again to receive from you. We're anticipating, Lord, you instructing us into an area that's one more revelation of your own heart, of your desire for us to grow and to walk and to mature. And so with all these things, Lord, we're just asking that you would illuminate your word, illuminate our hearts. That tonight, Lord, simply give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, your church. We ask it in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. 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 Alright, um, where we are tonight, there's Saints Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 16. And so we're going to fly, we're going to be all the way down to verse 18 tonight. So that we're going we're to make some tracks. Um, just keep in mind that as we get into this area, where we're at right now is, remember at the very tail end of chapter 5, where the, the Lord spoke those words, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Speaking of those forms of righteousness. And, um, and as he was, was there, you know, he was correcting that area of just bad doctrine and really wanting to draw all people to an understanding of where his heart was. And then we came to this area now where we're looking at, he puts out three points or three prominent points, I guess, if you would, as far as is walking righteousness. And these are the standards for righteousness. And of course, we looked at the area of giving. We looked at the area of prayer. And now we're looking at this area of fasting. And so if you want a good definition for fasting, um, I would say this. It's when you tell your body, I'm satisfied in God alone. Because so often what happens is your body will crave things. You'll crave food. You'll crave drink. It's like, I won't be satisfied. I need this. I need this. And you don't have that satisfaction because you're going, but you tell your body, I'm satisfied in God and, and I don't need anything more, you know, from that. And so um, there's a couple areas in which fasting is directed in scripture. We'll be looking at a few of them this evening. And so if you want to know, you know, as far as just three points, there's, there's two points specifically. One is, is like an addendum for that. But the first reason for fasting is this, to hear from God. And we'll be looking at that in depth, is to say, I want to hear from you. What is it that you need to speak? And so I'm laying these things aside as far as my, my, my carnal appetites to satisfy my fleshly needs. And I'm telling you, I'm satisfied in you alone. And, and so you speak to me. It's not a way of manipulating God, but it's a way of, of putting your body in subjection so that you can hear more from the Lord. And so you fast to hear more from God. And the second reason to fast is this, is actually to let God know that you heard from him. That when he speaks to you, you're like, oh, yep, this is you. I know it's your word. And I'm going to put these fleshly appetites aside one more time because I want you to know that I heard from you and I want that word to have that full effect. I don't want anything to dilute it. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard that after you eat a meal, you shouldn't drink water for a while because that way your stomach acid has a way of the full force, you know, digesting that meal. So if you, if you start drinking that water right away, you dilute that acid, it just takes a little bit longer to digest. 
But that's what happens with the fasting. I don't want to dilute what you're speaking to me. I'm going to lay those things aside. And I'm satisfied in you. I'm satisfied with what you've said, what you've directed. And I want you to know, Lord, that I've heard from you. So, and of course, a, a third is going to be simply when you're, you're sometimes it's simply an expression of grief. And we'll see how that happens in Scripture where there are moments where that will begin to happen. I want to open up um, tonight by just giving you one passage to jot down. If you want, you can turn there. But it's found in John chapter 4, where he's talking, um, has been talking to a woman of Samaria there at a well in Samaria. And in John chapter 4, when his disciples come back, I want to read from you verse 31 and um, verse 32. But what happens is this, when they come in from the city, in verse 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. And this is key. This is what fasting is all about. Is I, I'm satisfied with God. I'm literally so content with what he's been saying, what he's been speaking. I don't need this additional. My body doesn't require that. And, and it's a way of, of looking to the Lord and saying, you know, I am so satisfied in you. There's a beautiful worship song that we actually sing. I'm satisfied in you. It's just a beautiful song. It's just saying how... God, you're everything. Whatever you're doing, you're adding to the satisfaction. But in you and you alone, I need nothing else. And I have everything that I need. So what I want to do tonight is begin by just sharing how not to fast. And so how not to fast is right here in our text in verses 16 through 18. He says, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So at this point, here's one of the, the reasons on how not to fast. Don't fast so that you can be seen by men. Again, I want you to note that in verse 16, he says it the same way when um, he's done everything else. Remember back in, in chapter 6, verse 2, he says, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, not if you do. He says in verse 5, And when you pray, not if you do. And he says the same thing here in verse 16. And moreover, when you fast, not if you fast. So it's an understanding that you are going to do these charitable deeds. You are going to be giving. You are going to be praying. You are going to be fasting. And he says, when you fast here, do not be like the hypocrites. Um, and of course, we've talked about those. Those are the people that have the two faces, the two masks. And it's where you have one mask on the outside, one mask on the inside, where you want people to see this about you, but that's not really who you are on the inside. And the hypocrites, those were the actors, and they would be the ones who would wear a mask. And if you've ever seen those old matinee things, where you have this mask and they have a huge smile or a huge frown and they take up a great portion because you want the audience who's way in the back to be able to understand what expression you're doing. 
And that's what here this hypocrite is. It's one who wears the mask. And so through this, he says, don't be like those because they have this sad countenance. They disfigure their faces that they may appear um, two men to be fasting, and surely I say to you, they have, your, they have their reward. So if you think about it in just a moment here, that if you have this sad countenance, are you really saying, you know what, um, I'm satisfied with God alone? You're not. You're not even saying it. You're saying just the opposite. Oh, God's such a drag. He's making me fast, and now I'm sad, and now I have to give up this burger for today, or whatever it is that you have to do. But one of the things in how not to fast is first and foremost, you do not fast to be seen. The next portion that we're going to look at is how not to fast is found there in Luke chapter 18. We've been covering this for the last couple of weeks. And it's the reason we cover it is because here is a Pharisee who goes there into um, the temple and he's making three comments. And the three comments he makes is when he goes into the pray. He says, I give and I fast. And so you have these three areas in which we looked at these righteous areas of discipline and where you do it. But here, here's a Pharisee. He does do those three disciplines, but he does all of them in the wrong way. So it says here in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as a tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, here's a man that he is praying, he ties, and he, you know, fasts. But yet, in verse 14, Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. The tax collector, verse 13, who stood afar off, who wouldn't even as much as raise his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful, a sinner. That man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So this one who did do the fasting. So if you're fasting to be seen or you're fasting in the sense to be justified, if you're fasting to add to your righteousness, look at who I am, look at what I do. You're fasting for the wrong reason. It isn't fasting to look at you. You're fasting to look at God in adoration. You're looking at him saying, I need nothing else. I don't need anything. And so we see here that as that area of fasting, first is don't fast to be seen here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Next, don't fast to be justified or to find yourself that, that you're righteous there in Luke chapter 18. But I want to give to you one last verse here because it's key to when, you, um, when you're going to be looking to fasting. Now, I don't know if any of you ate extra today thinking that maybe tonight I'll have to fast or I'll have to give up breakfast or something like that. But I want to share this verse hopefully to give you some peace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, and this is key when it comes to the whole understanding of fasting. It declares this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. But food does not commend us to God. 
For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worst. It isn't that you have to fast. What happens is this. Fasting isn't a requirement. Fasting eventually becomes one of these disciplines that you do, but it's something that the Spirit leads you and the Spirit moves you. It isn't something that you say, I need to do this for X amount of reasons or to have God look at me or to have other people look at me. Whether you fast or don't fast, it doesn't add anything to your righteousness. And I love that passage that food does not commend us to God. Whether you eat or whether you don't, um, that doesn't make a difference before the Lord. So if you eat, you are not the better, or if you do not eat, you're not the worse. So if food doesn't commend you, so it's not, well, I'm going to just eat this food and not this other food. Food means nothing. Um, there are the regulations that we have. I mean, of course, health reasons, you want to eat certain things over others. But it, when it comes to fasting, whether you fast, it doesn't make you any better. Um, because what you're saying in the fast is what? God, I'm satisfied in you. Fasting isn't for me. It's for me to hear or to tell God, but it isn't to make me better. And so just mark that to say, if, if you're fasting in the sense to recognize it's going to make me justified or make me better, or God's not going to answer my prayer because of what I've done. He owes me on this one. Just keep in mind that fasting does not make you a better Christian. Um, it will open up opportunities for you to hear from the Lord, but that doesn't make you better. God can you know, allow his spirit to speak things, and, and you don't even have to come and fast to hear those things. We were at a, um, a breakfast here not that long ago, and I was spending almost like three days just going through this chapter and trying to figure out, okay, God, what is it we're going to talk about? What are we going to do as we look through this book? And, and as these guys were, were all there, we you know finished eating our breakfast, and then we were about to open up this book, and, and the guy made a comment, and, and it was almost as if it was as simple as just breathing, he just simply made a comment as far as what, what the Lord was showing him through this chapter. And he said, I, I saw this and I saw this and I saw this. And what was interesting are these are the things that I've been wrestling with to try to get out of this chapter. Wrestling and praying and seeking God. And here's the guy that breathes it. Just breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. And just so naturally says everything about the chapter that I've been wrestling to find. And it's like, Lord, you're so good. You are so good. And it wasn't that I was jealous because this guy could just breathe out the reality of the thing. And I have to wrestle and fight and grasp and, and really figure out what this chapter meant. It was this, God, you're good. And, and, and sometimes he'll allow you just to breathe these things out so naturally. There are times where I'm reading and I'm having to struggle to try to grasp what this passage means and how it fits in its context. And other times I just read it like, oh, yeah, that's a no-brainer. But it's the Spirit that does the work. And the same thing here with fasting. You have to be led by the Spirit. Now, just so you know that where fasting was directed, God in the New Testament, there is not a command for us to fast. There's not a command. Just know that. There's no command. So if you go through your entire Christian walk and you never fast, God's not going to say, oh, wow, wait a second. Uh, you need to pause a little bit before you come through the gates. He's not going to do that. There isn't a command that you, are, you need to fast. 
But there is this understanding that as you're walking in righteousness, there are going to be moments and times where God's going to say, you know what, I, I am going to fast. And when I do, I need to have this right mindset. I need to have this right heart. So, But there was a, a requirement, at least by tradition, fasting for the Jews. If you're familiar with that passage um, there in Luke chapter 23, what I want to share with you is this. That there is a, a, a day in Luke chapter 23 called the Day of Atonement. Um, in our modern day, we call it Yom Kippur. And if you're familiar with that thing, when you have that term Yom, um, it means day in Genesis 1-5. You know, in the, the darkness he called night, the light he called day, he called it Yom. So it just simply means day. And of course, Kippur is where we get it from um, in Genesis chapter 6 Verse 14, when Noah was you know, building the ark, and he says, and he covered it with pitch. The, the kippur or the kafar is to cover, um, and it's, it means atonement. And so Yom Kippur means it's the day of covering or the day of atonement. And that's what atonement means. It means you're covered like the ark was now covered, it was secure. And that's when you're, when you're atoned for, you're now covered, you're covered. You know, you have nothing to worry about. You can be at peace. And so that's simply what Yom Kippur means. Now, as you're there in Luke chapter or Leviticus chapter 23, I want you to just keep your finger there and back up just a couple of chapters to Luke chapter 16. And I want to start reading to you just the first five verses, and I'm going to jump over to verse 29. So in Leviticus 16, the first five verses says this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Now you know when that happened. That happened in Leviticus chapter 10. And that, you know, they, they have an Abihu, they brought that unholy fire. God, you know, consumed them. And so once they were consumed, and God told, you know, Aaron, you just can't come at any time. That's just not what you have to do. You have to prepare. There's, there's something that you can do. So what happens is, in chapter 16, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. And he shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments, therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering, one ram as a burnt offering. So at this point he now says, okay, now that your sons have died, I want you to know you can't come at any time. But when you come, there's going to be a certain requirement of you coming before me. Now, the high priest could only come before the Lord one 
day a year, only one day at one moment. And this is after we see here that he sacrifices an ox for himself. And when he does come in, he needs to have a censer. He needs to have the coals. He needs to have that incense. So there's literally this cloud that's rising before him. So he still can't see clearly the ark. He still can't see clearly the mercy seat. There's still this scene through this glass darkly, if you will. And as he's looking in there through the smoke of the incense that's there on the, the coals of the um, labor that he's holding, as he walks in, he can now go into the Holy of Holies. But when he does, he has to remove all of the glamour of his priestly garment. He can only wear linen. In other words, purity, white, nothing fancy, nothing impressive. You're coming in very basic, but pure. And so here, it's just one of those things where you just can't come at any time to meet with me. And so he's going to establish in verse 29 of Leviticus 16 this truth. He says, This shall be a statute forever for you in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. So now he points out the day that is going to be the day you can come in. There's a statute that is now ordained for the high priest that he can come in after he sacrifices the, the ox for himself, but he can come on what's known as the seventh month, the tenth day of the month, and then it says this, you shall afflict your souls. So understand that with Yom Kippur, that day of atonement, we find it a little bit more opened up when you go over to Leviticus chapter 23. And I want to read it to you because what happens is this. There is, as you know, we'll see as we go through Scripture and eventually you learn more about these feasts. There are the spring feasts and then there's the latter feasts. And so you have feasts in the spring and then feasts in the fall. And so uniquely those feasts in the spring were all fulfilled in the first ministry of Jesus Christ as he came to be sacrificed. We believe that the rest of the feast will be fulfilled as he now comes in his second coming and does the second ministry. That will be the, the, the feast that will be done. The first feast that we see is actually found in verse 23 and verse 24 of Leviticus 23. And that's the Feast of Trumpets where the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial blowing of the trumpets, a holy convocation. So in other words, the very beginning of this fall season is going to be the blowing of the trumpets. And so most believe that's going to be the trumpet blast, you know, us coming up to um, be with the Lord, the rapture. Um, but you see that beginning this the beginning work of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, he takes his church up. But uniquely we see this. In verse 26 now of Leviticus 23, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Also, the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. In other words, in Hebrew, Yom Kippur. 
It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in the soul on that day shall be cut off from his people. And the person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and your dwellings. And it shall be to you a Sabbath of a solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So like this year, Yom Kippur started on September 27th, ended on September 28th, from evening to evening. And what he says is this, on this day of atonement, and he says it three times here. In verse 26, he says, you shall afflict your souls. In verse 29, a person who's not afflicted in the soul, well, he's going to be cut off. In verse 32, he said, it shall be a Sabbath of a solemn rest. You shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. So this afflicting of the souls, the way that tradition has it for the children of Israel is the first thing they would do is fast. That this was a time of fasting. They do it nowadays where they eat nothing from you know the, the evening of the 27th to the evening of the 28th. They eat nothing. Now the preparation of the day of the, the, the 27th, they prepare everything, but you eat nothing. This is the day of atonement. So you're supposed to, one, not eat anything. That's your tradition that comes through the fasting. And the Jews do that to this very day and age. The other thing that they do is they begin to really look to the area of their, their own hearts and their lives and they repent. It needs to be this solemn occasion to the Jews. And they'll put all kinds of things away. Anything that has to do with the fleshly appetites, they'll put those things away. So this is what they come to interpret the affliction of the souls. The affliction of the soul, God says, I want your heart humble. That's the bottom line. And they, of course, take it to not only should my heart be humbled, but I should fast and I should afflict and I can't have any of these, you know, fleshly appetites fulfilled while I'm going through this day. And I don't think it's a bad thing in the same way as when Jesus said, when you fast, in other words, things are going to happen. And for um, this area, I think it's a, it's a beautiful term. It's a beautiful way. But this is where for the Jew and there in the Old Testament, this is where fasting began. And it began initially because Nadab and Abihu, the profane fire they brought, God destroyed them. And now he's telling here, Aaron, you can't come in just any time. One day you can come in. And when you do come in, you need to sacrifice an oxen for yourself. Of course, you're going to be a ram for the children of Israel. You're going to take away the, the splendor of your high priestly garments, and then you're going to come in at that point. You can come in through this veil, and then, you know, of course, see me through the smoke of the incense. You can see that Shekinah that will be there as I will meet with you. But you can only come in one time, you know, through the year. Now, I love the, the book of Hebrews because he says, Now come boldly to the throne of grace. 
The veil is rent in two. It was done when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Now we have bold access to come. But here, the reason that I wanted to share that first area, because this is where for the Jew, that whole area of fasting began. And it was what? It was, I need to make sure that I'm right to come before God. And really what he's saying is, if you, you know, want my definition, it's just, I'm satisfied in you. You are everything. I need nothing else. And I, in my whole thing, I just want to come before you. And amazingly, the children of Israel could not come into the temple. Only the, the Levites, the priests, could go into the temple. So think about this. you got a nation of millions. Only thousands can go into the temple. And only one can go into the Holy of Holies within the temple. That's not very good access. And so when you think about this, what Jesus Christ has done for us, he's given us that access. But here the high priest would go in so that he could make atonement, that he could come back and say, yes, I've heard from the Lord that we're good. And so this is where um, the whole area of fasting came. And I just wanted you to be aware that for the Jews, it, it came through the Day of Atonement. Um, for where it became a practice that they would once a year fast. And that's what the Jew does. They, they can fast more, they can fast, you know, um, but they won't fast less. They'll always fast the one time of year to say, I'm giving this time over to you, Lord. This is for you. So the other thing that I want to share with you is this. Sometimes the fasting can be an expression of grief. I'm going to share with you just two passages. The first found in 1 Samuel chapter 31. And this is, of course, you are familiar, as I'm already telling you where it is, that this is where Saul and Jonathan die in that battle with the Philistines. But declares this in 1 Samuel 31. I want to read from verses 11 through 13, where it says, Now the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. And all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshane. And they came to Jabesh and they buried them there. Now look at verse 13. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Here the fasting was a type of mourning. It was a type of grieving. And I don't know if you've ever been to that point where you are truly grieving within your heart and you can't eat. You can't eat. Um, I was one of those when I was a kid, if I was disciplined um, by my mother, I would feel so horrible, I would have no appetite. I just would have no appetite. And she would literally say, you have to eat. You have to sit down and you have to eat. And so I would sit down, but I literally, I would have no appetite. And I think that's when you have that kind of grief, when you have that kind of area of emotional, you're, you're not hungry. You're just not. The food is the furthest thing from you. You're, you're, you're grieving. You're, 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 you're hurting. And so it's interesting that in our culture nowadays, that when you have a funeral, the very first thing they do is they have this massive spread of food that is like, well, you know, let's celebrate this one. There's going to be no more than here. And so, you know, they, they, they don't have that where, you know, during the time of Israel, 
when they did fast, it was this time of, of mourning and they didn't want to give themselves over. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I want to read to you another portion. And, and this is where David here, he loses his son, the one that was born to him and Bathsheba, the, the child of adultery. But it makes this statement, and I want to start reading in verse 13 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. So David said to Nathan, and I'm going to read down to verse 23. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin and you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. Verse 16, David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So David here is in just this place of grieving and mourning. And so he's fasting, he's laying prostrate there on the ground. And so we're seeing here that, that, that David, he's pleading with God. And, and I want you to know, as you know what happens in this passage, that God isn't swayed by David. He's not swayed by David being prostrate. He's not swayed by David fasting. It didn't affect God in what he says, this is my judgment. Now, David's trying to say, I'm, I'm grieving, I'm hurting, and he's, he's laying down pleading with God. He's, he's fasting. None of it affects what God is going to do. So verse 17, the elders of his house arose and went to him and raised him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. Now here's David pleading with the Lord. He's laying on the ground. He's fasting. On the seventh day, finally the child dies. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him. And he would not heed our voice by either getting up or by you know, eating. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servant, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes. So understand, David is now laying there for a long period of time. Eventually, the child dies. They come in, they're whispering, what do we do? Should we tell him? Well, I don't know, he could hurt himself. But as soon as he says, you know, is the child dead? They go, he's dead. David rose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Now, just as a note, I forgot to do one thing. If you have room in your notes, part of the things that they do in the Day of Atonement is they don't anoint themselves, they don't wash. They do the same thing here that David did. They, anything that would take place of, of some you know, carnal pleasure or fleshly pleasure, they do none of that. So along with not eating, along with mourning, they don't anoint themselves, they don't wash. 
They, they spend an entire day. So here he anoints himself, he changes his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. This is incredible. Now the child dies, he goes in and he worships God. And he went to his own house and when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. And then his servant said to him, what is this that you've done? You fasted and you wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live, but now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So this beautiful passage where, of course, you know, David realizes this child of his is going to come to be with the Lord. He'll one day be with the child and with the Lord so we see that here, in the same way as the, um, the elders, when Saul and Jonathan died, they wept, they mourned, they fasted. The same thing with David. When the child is sick, knowing that he's going to die, David here does this thing of mourning. He doesn't eat, he doesn't get up. In a sense, he's pleading with God. Now, I just want you to understand that that pleading with God, that it wasn't something where God was swayed by his fasting. Understand that. Mark that and note that. So, now, why do we fast? Two passages in the Old Testament. The first is found in the book of Ezra. And in Ezra chapter 8, and if this is how I want to hear from God, this is why they're fasting. And so as we look to Ezra 8 and we look to um, Judges 20, we're going to be looking at these two passages where here they're wanting to hear from the Lord. Well, in the book of Ezra, chapter 8, you're familiar with what has been going on. And as they're here building the temple, what happens is this, they come amazingly to the seventh month. And, and so as we, we recognize what's beginning to happen, um, they're now gathered. And as they're, they're coming together, the children of Israel are coming back and they begin to um, receive from the, the Lord. And in verse 21 of Ezra chapter 8, it says this, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king and escort of the soldiers of the horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying the hand of our God was upon all those for good to seek him, but his power and his wrath are against those who forsake him. So he fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. So here's what begins to happen. Again, in verse 21, he proclaims a fast. That they might humble themselves before their God to seek from him the right way. I want to hear from you. What do we do? How do we do this? How do we go about this as far as coming back to Jerusalem and building this temple? How do we do this in a way that honors you? And so they're seeking God. But the first thing they do 
is they're humbling themselves. They're saying, God, it's not about me. It's about you. Would you speak to us? Would you direct us? So show us what is the right way for us and for our little ones and all our possessions. What do you want from us? And so in verse 23, they fasted. They entreated our God for this. In other words, information and guidance and, and the ability. And of course, he answered their prayer. So we see that here in Ezra, one of the things that we're doing fasting is they wanted to hear from the Lord. They wanted to say, yeah, okay, God, we need your guidance. We need your understanding. We need you to move and to minister. Now, the next passage is found in Judges chapter 20. In the book of Judges chapter 20, I want to start reading in verse 13. Because in verse 13 it says this. If you're familiar with what's happening here, the nation of Israel is going to be going to battle against the tribe of Benjamin. Now what had happened is back in chapter 19, there was a, a Levite, and the Levite had this concubine, and she went to visit her father, and eventually they were leaving, and they were in that area over there as they were heading back home. And as they were heading back home, what had happened was this, that they had gone, and they were over there by Gibeah, and as they were there, um, the perverted men from the tribe of Benjamin um, came and were wanting to do damage to them. And so they, they sent out these, these women, one of them being this concubine. And so what happened is they had abused her to the point of death. She dies there at the threshold of the door. And so this Levite, what he does is, you know, he just chops her up into 12 pieces, sends a piece of her to each of the tribes of Israel. And they wonder what in the world is going on. So he uses this as an example to say, hey, listen, this is what happened. Um, the tribe of Benjamin is just wrong in this way. Well, in verse 13, what they're wanting is this. They're wanting simply for Gibeah to give over those perverted men. And it says in Judges 20, verse 13, Now therefore deliver up the men, the perverted men who are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. So Benjamin wouldn't give up these wicked men. And through that, then they're like, okay, well, what do we do? Let's, let's go to war against them. And so you have Israel, and they have, you know, 400,000 men. And, of course, you don't have that many there in Benjamin, there in Gibeah. And you have this group that now goes up against them. As they asked the Lord in verse 18, the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God to inquire God. And they said, which of us shall go to battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah first. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and camped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them in Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out to Gibeah and cut that day, cut down to the ground, 
22,000 men of the Israelites. Now God says, yep, go and let Judah go first. And then Benjamin wipes out 22,000 men. Well, eventually, verse 23, the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel, Lord, shall I again draw near for battle? The children of Benjamin, and, uh, and shall I against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, go up against them. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day, and Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day, and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel, all those who drew the sword. So I want you to see this progression. First, they go to the house of the Lord, and they say, hey, should we go against them? God says, sure, go. Judah first and, and head out there. 22,000 go. Now they come back a second time, and they just don't go before the Lord, but now they're weeping. Now they're weeping and going before the Lord. Says, shall we go? He says, yeah, absolutely. Go again. 18,000 people now die. Now look at verse 26 and watch this progression. Then all the children of Israel, that is all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. And they sat there before the Lord and they fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days, and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up for tomorrow. I will deliver them into your hand. Understand that God says, Yeah, I want you to go and fight. But he didn't say he would deliver them. And he realized, what's going on? And then he comes the second time weeping. He says, yep, go and fight. But he doesn't deliver them. Now they come to the point where they say, listen, I'm just going to come and I'm going to sit here. And I'm going to fast. I need to seek you. And now they just don't say, you know, should we go? But they said, should we go or should we stop? And I find it interesting that so often what we do is we give to God ultimatums. Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? Or, you know, but here... It's almost like, you know, they're in the, the upper room where the disciples got together and Peter said, Oh, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two men that you've chosen, which we chose already, you get to choose too. Well, then why do you say you know the hearts of all men? I know all men, and I'm not necessarily going to choose these two. There's another man, Saul of Tarsus. I'm choosing him. But thank you for these two. And so go ahead and do the lots because you're only going to have a yes and a no. That's all you can have here. And so, of course, the lot fell and, and you know, is the, the, um, the apostle, is the disciple. He is the next one. But as we see here, they now stop, they sit. Look at verse 26 again. Then all the children of Israel, that is all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. And they just sat there and fasted. The same way as David just laid there and didn't move. I'm not going to walk around. Just I'm going to sit there and say, God, I'm just overwhelming you. I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to do anything. I just want to be here with you. And so keep in mind that one of those things when it comes to fasting is, is in our day and age, we have a tendency of saying, I'm going to fast. And I'm going to still do all the things that I'm going to do. And God says, are, are you really, are you needing to be satisfied in that? 
Are you needing to be satisfied? So understand that part of fasting is this, that you're giving up um, not only the, the, the food and the drink at times, but you're giving up activities as well. And then some people, it, it's a good thing because when they fast, they, they have no energy. Like, I, I need to have energy. I need to have food. And it's, it's an important thing to say, God, I'm just satisfied in you. I, I'm going to give up the food. I'm going to give up the drink. And, of course, we'll be looking at, you know, in a little bit, just the different types of fastings. But here, they come to the house of God. They wept as they did it the second time. And now they sat before the Lord and they fasted that day. And then they offered the offerings as well. They said, God, it's only you. We're only going to focus on you. It's your goodness. It's who you are. And then they asked the question, should we go? Should we not? Um, we're now able to hear we put you in the place where you needed to be. I'm at the place where I need to be. In the same way as we were looking at prayer and we had to understand where's his place, where's my place. He's in heaven, I'm not. And it's important here, even in the time of fasting, to realize I need to be in this place where you're exalted and you're everything. And I don't need anything else. Nothing else. I don't have to accomplish something. I just want to hear from you. So in our day and age, what happens is this, is we'll skip a meal and we'll go about our business, but that's not the real purpose for fasting. The purpose for fasting is hearing from God or just stopping everything and say, God, I've heard from you. I've heard from you. There's nothing else that I need. I just need you. I need, you know, you've spoken and I'm telling you that I just want you, nothing else. So as we're learning these areas of fasting, we see here that of course they, they counsel with the Lord and God gives them the direction. God gives them that whole area as far as, okay, this is, this is what it is. You've heard from me now. The third passage I want to give you is found in Isaiah chapter 58. It's one that's almost usually used when it comes to fasting. And as you sit under studies of mine, we'll hit this more than once. And it's a powerful tool because what he's saying is this. As we're looking at Isaiah chapter 58, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read all the way down through 11. But what they're asking is this. Their fasting was a type of religion. Their fasting was a type of, of God, I'm going to do this so that you now hear from me. And God's saying, no, what you're going to understand is fasting isn't for religious purposes. Fasting is for relationship purposes. Um, if you're familiar with how people begin their relationship when they're married, what normally happens is this, is after they say, I do, they have a celebration. And then what does the groom and the bride do? They go on a honeymoon. Everything else is gone. No other people, no other things. It's only the two. I'm satisfied in you alone. I don't need the crowds. I don't need my parents. I don't need my friends. I'm satisfied in you alone. And that's really what's happening. God says fasting is to build the relationship. It's not to be used as religion. So here Isaiah chapter 58, um, one of the keys that is there is going to be verse 6. We'll get there in a moment. But he says, is this not the fast that I have chosen? See, God says, this is what I want the fast to be. I want it to loose the bonds of wickedness. I want it to undo the heavy burdens. I want you to let the oppressed go free. I want you to really use this fast to say, how can I minister, Lord, to your people? 
not how can the people minister to me, but how can I minister to them? So let's look at this passage, just start reading it. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1, Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and tell my people their transgression and tell the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and they delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness. Now here God says, they're coming to me like good children. Now you have to understand that I had no problem when I did good to go to my parents and say, wow, look at what I did. See my report card? Um, no problem. But when I did something wrong and they knew about it, I was not bold in coming to them like I was a good kid. I knew I did something wrong. But he says here, verse 2, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways in motion only, this is means, as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. They say in verse 3, why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Now, here is where the children of Israel, they're using these kind of passages to realize the affliction of the soul is the fasting. And I want you to notice it's two different things. The affliction of the soul is just humbling yourself. It's not we fasted and we've afflicted our souls and they're the same thing. Why have we not fasted, which is one thing, and you've not seen? Why have we not afflicted our souls, which is in addition to fasting, and you do not take notice? So they're not the same thing. So on the Day of Atonement, when the tradition has the Jews fasting, it doesn't necessarily mean it is. It's good for them to fast. It's good for them to do so. But it's a way of not you know, mourning your own state. But it should be a way of drawing closer to God and saying, I'm satisfied in you. So we see here that they're saying, we're doing this, you owe us. Why have we fasted and you've not seen? I've done my part, you do your part. I've afflicted my soul, why aren't you doing what you need to do? Take notice of me here. Well, he goes on in verse 3, he says, In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. So what's happening is this. They're, they're saying, I'm denying this, but I'm so happy with me because look at how righteous I am. Fasting is not to be a form of righteousness or justification. So here he says, you find you fast and you find pleasure and exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. This is a key. If you're an underliner, if you're a highlighter, you might want to underline that point in Isaiah 58, verse 4 at the end. You will not fast as you do this day. You're fasting for the wrong reason, for this area to be heard, to be seen. You're fasting to make your voice heard on high. In other words, I'm fasting, God, you owe me. Look at how spiritual I am. You now must you know, direct me or be directed by me. And that's not what the fasting is. The fasting is not to, for God to be directed by me, for, but for God to direct me, for me to hear, as I let everything else go, and I'm just focusing on God and His goodness. Now, verse 5, he says, Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his souls? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, 
or to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and acceptable day to the Lord? He said, it's all a show. Don't fast and make it a show. And now he says this, verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? He says, this is what you fast. Not that you can say, how can you be ministered? But how can you be used to minister to the poor and the needy? He says, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burden, to let the oppressed go free, that you would break every yoke. Is this not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring your house to the poor who are cast out? He says, share your bread with the hungry, bring into your house the poor and the needy. When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. He said, do you really want to fast and be glorified? He said, ask me, how can you bless others? And then you're going to see light. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard and you shall call and the Lord will answer and he shall cry and he will say, here I am. So what they were doing is they were afflicted. How can I get benefited? How can I get benefited? Why are you paying attention? He says, listen, you do what I called you to do and you're going to have confidence that I'm going to hear you. And I think it's so important to say that where does our confidence come in? And you know as well as I do, your confidence as a Christian comes in through what? Through obedience to the word and obedience to his spirit. The more that I'm obedient, the more that I'm confident, like, God, I'm, I'm on the right track. And, and I know that if I'm hearing from you, I'm walking what you're, you're declaring me, and, and I'm hearing, this is where I know you're taking pleasure, and you're going to move, you're going to watch over me, because I'm in your will. And now in the end of verse 9, he says, If you take away the yoke from your midst, and the pointing of the finger, and the speaking of wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry... And you satisfy the afflicted soul. He said, you're making yourself hungry for me to hear you. Let's try this. How about feeding those who are hungry, who do need it? You're looking at yourself saying, oh, I gave up food and I'm such a good person. He says, no, why don't you give your food that you gave up to those who really have need of it? So rather than you not eating... How about feeding others? And that's where God says, I'm going to take notice. And I think it's so important where he says in verse 10, if you extend your soul to the hungry and you satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You'll be rich in, in, in just the ministry of the Lord. So we see here that within this area, it's so important that what we're doing is saying, God, you know, I've, I've heard from you. God, I've, I've, I want, I, I'm, I'm hearing you and I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. And so I'm giving up all these things so that I, I can hear from God. The other is this, and this is a little bit more extensive, but it's to say, Lord, I've heard from you. I want you to turn to the book of Nehemiah. As you find yourself there in Nehemiah, I'm going to start reading in um, chapter 1. 
just so you can understand the first time that Nehemiah here begins to hear from the Lord. And after we read um, the first verse 11 of Nehemiah 1, then we're going to look at the first three verses of Nehemiah chapter 9. But it says in Nehemiah 1, verse, um, I'll start in verse 3. It says, And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So, at this point, Nehemiah hears of what the state is of Jerusalem. And so as he hears the state, the survivors are left from captivity. The province is in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and Jerusalem is torched. In verse 4, and so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept. And I mourned for many days and was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now at this point he hears, he says, I've heard. I've heard from you. I heard the state of Jerusalem. And in this sense, not only has he heard from God, but he's going to hear even more. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you, observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. For the children of Israel, your servants, I confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you, and we've not kept your commandments, your statutes, and your ordinances, which you commanded us through your servant Moses. And so he said, we've blown it. And as he's praying, he says, God, what you've done here is right. What you've done here is just. And then he says this, you're doing what you said you were going to do. But as he's realizing, God, you said that if we left you, you would destroy us, take us away and destroy Jerusalem. But you also said this, and he's now still hearing from God. Look at verse 8. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But, and I love how he swings now into verse 9, but if you return to me and you keep my commandments and you do them, so some of you were cast out to the farthest part of heaven, yet I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. You're going to come back to Jerusalem. He said, if you listen to me, if you humble me, if you return to me. He said, you, you told us if we left you, you'd send us away. But you also said, if we came back to you, you would bring us back. And so verse 11, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. Let your servant prosper this day, I pray. Grant him mercy in the sight of man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So we begin to see here that he's open. He's wanting to hear from the Lord. And now, in Nehemiah chapter 9, let me read this to you. It declares this, on the 24th day of this month. So what month is it? Oh, lo and behold, you guessed it. It's the 24th day of the 10th month. We see, and I want to share with you, 
Back in verse 2 of Nehemiah chapter 8, it says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men and the women, all who could hear with under, and understand on the first day of the seventh month. So what we're seeing here in this mode of fasting, and we'll get to it when we get into chapter 9, but I want to give you this background to it. It's on now the seventh month. And as he has the seventh month, if I said 10, that was a mistake, it's the seventh month. As he now comes, it's the seventh month, and it's the Feast of Trumpets. And then we begin to see here that they read verse 8 from the book, the law of God, that they gave the sense that they helped him to understand. And it declares this, that in verse 10, it says this, he said to them, and I'm still in Nehemiah 8, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send the portion to those who, to whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow for the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites quite all the people and said, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. So he says, this isn't a day to fast. This is a day to celebrate. Now, eventually what happens is this. In verse 13, now, on the second day, the heads of the father's house, all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered. This is here in Nehemiah 8.13. They were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel would dwell in booze during the feast of the seventh month. So now they're realized from the, from the 15th of that month on to um, the 21st, 22nd, that they're going to have these seven days of the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they begin now to, as we see at the end of verse 15, they get these olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle trees, palm branches, branches of leafing trees to make booze as it is written. So the thing that was missing is this. We're there with the trumpet, there at the beginning of chapter 8. At the end of chapter 8, they go through the Feast of Booze, but they miss the Day of Atonement. Now here's the interesting thing. In verse 1 of chapter 9, on the 24th day of this month. So you have the seventh month of Tishri. You now have a couple days after the Feast of Booze is over. Three days after, and it says this, On the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, sackcloth, and with dust on their heads. And then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners, and they stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers, and they stood up in their place, and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for one-fourth of the day, and another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord your God. And you thought, I taught long. <laughs> this is amazing that here, and they're, what they're saying is, we've heard from you, Lord. We're celebrating this thing that we're just sojourners here. And as we're looking to Jerusalem, as we're looking to build it, we realize that this isn't the permanent. This is still temporary. You're going to give us permanent, and that's heaven. Like Abraham, he looked for the, the city whose builder and maker was God. That's the permanent that we're looking for. 
And as they're, they're hearing from the Lord, they're reading from this word, re reading distinctly from the book, they're hearing from God, they begin to do the celebration of the booze, and they come back to this point of saying, I want you to know, Lord, that we've heard. And they put everyone else away, and the only ones that are there is they're there with fastings and sackcloth, and in a sense, that they're mourning where they've been, but they're telling the Lord, I'm hearing from you now, and, and so they, they're there, they confess their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. So they're saying their sins and our, our, our fathers of sin. And they now begin to read from the word again to hear from the Lord for one fourth of the day. And then they confess and worship God for the rest. So it's amazing how they, we've heard you, we've heard you, we're fasting, we're celebrating. If you go further into the New Testament, you come to the book of Jonah. And in the book of Jonah, beginning in chapter 3, I want to read the first five verses, because you know Jonah, he just comes through. And it declares this in Jonah chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it a message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days journey in extent. Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and he said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So now you say, yeah, well, you do talk a lot. Look at that. Look at how simple that message was. He gives this incredible message, 40 days and you're toast. That's it. 40 days and you're going to be just be overthrown. And know what happened in verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. They're saying, God, I've heard from you. Oh my, have I heard from you. And I want to hear, what do you want from me? What do you need from me? And so they proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of the least. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to proclaim and publish throughout Nineveh the decree of the kings of his noble saying. Now this is incredible. Notice what the king of Nineveh is doing. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. He's saying, we're fasting. The animals are fasting. Your dogs are fasting, your gerbils are fasting, your cows are fasting, your sheep, everything is fasting. Nothing is going to partake of its lusts. We're going to be satisfied in one thing, God. And so we're, we're going to let him know it's you, it's you, and it's only you. And verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one of you turn from his evil ways and the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Verse 10, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring upon them and did not do it. It's interesting that Jonah goes and preaches a message and they hear it. And so they're saying, Lord, I've heard from you. And anything else you need to say, I want to hear more. It's so important to realize that 
the fasting does is it takes everything away except what? Except hearing from God and knowing God. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, I'm only going to give you two more passages. The first one is now when the ark comes into um, back from the Philistines. And it declares this in 1 Samuel chapter 7. I want to start reading in verse 1. It opens up this. Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab uh, of the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And so it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time, and there was 20 years all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke. So understanding what's happening, they were bringing back the ark. And as they were bringing back the ark, remember now, the, the men of Beth Shemesh looked into the ark. And as they looked into the ark, it declared that God judged the people. There were a lot of people that died that day. And as they died, now he says, okay, come back to me, come back to me. So in verse 2, of 1 Samuel 7, so it was when the ark remained and cured that germ a long time. There was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, put away your foreign gods, the Asherahs from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So they said, just focus on God. That's all you have to do. Put away the foreign gods, do everything else, just only focus on the Lord. And so the children of Israel put away the Baals and Asherahs. They heard from God. And they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day. And they said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. I love this because here the fasting wasn't for God to hear them. The fasting is, God, I've heard from you. And so as they come and they realize, God says, listen, if you want, if you return to me with all your hearts, I'm going to bless. I'm going to meet with you. And so they did. They put away everything that was in the way, and, and God just began to radically, radically meet them. Now, the last one that I want to give you is found in, in the book of Kings. And if you want, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 21. Now, 1 Kings 21, if you're familiar with this passage, that Ahab had did this crazy thing where he got some men together and he told them, I want you to proclaim a fast and we're going to seek the Lord. But it was during this fake fast that he was doing that these two men, scoundrels, came up and they gave a bad um, word about a man named Naboth because Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. But Naboth said, no, it's my vineyard. I want it. God gave it to me and my family. It's ours. And so Naboth, uh, Ahab had him killed through hook and through crook. But eventually what happens is this. In 1 Kings 21, beginning in verse 17, and I'm going to read through verse 18. I'm actually going to read through verse 29. 
It begins this. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise and go meet Ahab the king of Israel who is in Samaria. And there he is in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone down to take possession of it. And you shall speak to him saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. So here he says, Listen, you've murdered. And I want you to know that where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, they're even to lick yours. So he says, where you murder him, you're going to die. He says in verse 21, I'm going to bring calamity on you. I'm going to take away your posterity. I'm going to cut off every from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the first son of Israel, or the first king of Israel, and like the house of um, Baasha. And he was, of course, the third king of Israel, and he was killed um, by Nadab. And so he says now, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. Now look at verse 23. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city and the birds of the air shall eat Whoever dies in the field, he says, you're all dying. Now, verse 25, but there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. So here, keep in mind what's happening. Elijah now comes and pronounces judgment to Ahab. And he says, and he's the most wicked person of all. But what does Ahab do? Look at verse 26. He said he behaved very abominably in following idols. Of course, Jezebel was the one who stirred him to do so. According to all the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. Now look at verse 27. And so it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his body, fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah and Tishbite, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. So God says, listen, he heard from me. And what I'm going to do is the judgment is still going to come. But there's going to be a type of blessing in the life of Ahab because he's heeded my word and he heard from me. And so what Ahab does is he fasts and he says, I've heard from you and I want to hear more from you. So... When all this is said and done, what is this fasting? When we come back to our text, of course, he makes this statement, don't be like the hypocrites. They, they do it to uh, appear to men to be fasting. And because of that, they have the reward. But he says this, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. <clears throat> it's interesting I don't know if you ever remember, you know, when you you met someone or maybe when you met your bride, you're like, oh, we're going to go on a date. But what do you do? Oh, my goodness. You, you, you know, you don't just get off of work in your grubby clothes. Like, no, I got to get home. I got to get I'm, I'm I'm going and I clean myself. That's what God says. When you, when you come and meet with me, why, why are you going to be all grody? Why are you going to be all nasty? Why, why do you want to do that and meet with me? 
He says, when you come, anoint your head, wash your face. Be satisfied in me. And he goes on to say, so that you do not appear to men. I don't want men to know what's going on between you and me. This is, this is in a sense where you're taking, it's almost like a miniature honeymoon. You're getting together with God. I said, I want to just hear from you. I want to be with you. I'm just satisfied in you. What is it that you're wanting to speak to me? Or, or you've spoke to me. I've heard it. And I want to do this and hear even more from you because I want to walk this in, in really to walk what is the specificness of your will. He says, but you're not going to appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who sees in secret, a place where your father who sees in secret, and he's going to reward you openly. So what's the bottom line when it comes to fasting? The bottom line is not a command. The bottom line that initially it was a, a direction from um, the Jews as their tradition there in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But what fasting really is, it's a way of, when you're grieving and you have no appetite, they fast. It's not a mandatory thing. It's not a religious thing. It's just I'm at a point of grieving so deeply that I just have no appetite. But when you're going to do a spiritual fast, it's what? It's getting together with God. And it's celebrating him and it's saying, Lord, it's just you and me. I don't want distractions of my flesh. I don't want distractions of anything else. And what would normally be, oh, I got to prepare a food and I got to eat it. And I gotta... It's like, I'm just giving this to you. I have food to eat that only you know of. It's you and it's being here with you. One last passage I want you to just jot down. You can turn there from here in Matthew chapter 9. I want to read verse 14 and verse 15. Because the disciples of John had come to Jesus and they said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? The whole time that Jesus was there with them, they ate, they drank, and they were merry. So for three and a half years, he didn't say, Okay, guys, this is how you fast. Oh, it's time to fast. He's like, Oh, be satisfied in me. It's amazing that they're the disciples of John. We, we do this. The Pharisees do this. Why don't your disciples do this? And so Jesus said this. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. I want you to know something. That there was a time where Jesus was taken up. But now there's a time that for us, Jesus says, I'm going to meet with you. We get to celebrate these times with the Lord. And so know this, that if you really are going to take this, you're going to say, man, when I meet with the bridegroom, I'm just going to just celebrate. And I don't have to worry about fasting or not fasting. Food isn't going to make me better to God, nor is a lack of food going to make me better. None of that matters. And I love the heart of this because he says, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? There's going to come a time where you're just overjoyed. And it comes to a point where, you know, when it comes to this area of fasting, it's so important that there are going to be moments in time within ministries, within directions of God, that he's going to call you and he's going to be leading you. And you're going to say, am I hearing from you? And I want to hear from you exactly what it is that you want me to do. I don't want to go and just do my own thing, but I want to know your will. I want to know your heart. And so you give yourself over to say, God, it's just you and me. 
So understand that when it comes to fasting, and I know we went through a whole lot to just confirm this, but fasting is not just giving up food. It's not saying we just, I'm, just not, I'm going to skip a meal and I'm going to pray a little bit and I'm still going to go to work. I'm still do this. That's not fasting. If you think that fasting, you're in error. You don't go and do anything. You, you, you just hang out with God. It's just you and God. And you just spend that time with God. And you're satisfied in God and you're celebrating that time with God. That's what fasting is. And he says, and this is where we know back in our text, he says that when you fast, verse 17, anoint your head, wash your face, your meeting with me, get ready, enjoy this. So keep in mind that too much of where spiritual fasting in our day and age is this. It's like the fast that Israel did. I fasted, why aren't you paying attention? I did this, aren't you going to answer my prayer? And so we're fasting to make God hear us. That's the fast that we sometimes do as Christians. But a biblical fast, what God wants us to learn about fasting is this. And this is something that when you fast and one day you're going to be wanting to hear from the Lord, you're going to say, you know what? I'm, I'm taking a day off of work. I'm fasting from those pleasures, if you consider work a pleasure. I'm going, to, I'm going to give that up. I'm going to give food up. I'm going to give everything up. I'm just spending time with you, Lord. That is a biblical fast where nothing else is there. It's just me and it's God. And I'm spending the time with him. And so a lot of times what happens is this. A fast will be for a day. Sometimes, you know, when, when you have things, if you want to extend that fast out a couple days, you'll, you'll spend that portion of the day just being with God. And then, of course, you're going to have family, you're going to do those things, but then you're going to come back and spend that portion of the day and just be with God. So the fasting is this, it's giving up everything that would be a distraction. Everything that you could possibly say, oh, I can find pleasure in this and I can find pleasure in this, but it's only finding pleasure in God. And that's why I gave that definition to us as we're going through this, because I think that's just a really key understanding that when you're fasting, as you're going through, you're just saying, Lord, I am satisfied in you. So when you fast, now you have the biblical background and the biblical foundation to when you do do it, you can say, Lord, I'm going to hear from you. I know by faith I'm going to hear from you because... I'm just delighting in you. And as I'm delighting in you, you're going to do one thing. You're going to delight in me. What are you directing me to do? How do you want me to move? And then I want to just honor you and glorify you. Um, so hopefully that ministers to you. Let's begin to bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for just this foundation, Lord, of what fasting is. I... I know that there have been many times that we as Christians and many churches today still mistake what a true fast is. They fast like the Jews on Yom Kippur. And they, they, they make themselves sad and mourn. Father, we, we are humbled because you're God and, and you want to meet with us, but we are celebrating that you are God and you're going to meet with us, that you are meeting with us. And we're so satisfied in you. Teach us, Lord, what this is. And then, Father, as we walk in obedience to this, 
Father, we're just simply asking for your blessings, that you would speak to us volumes of your love and of your grace and of your plan for our lives. So direct us, lead us in these things. We ask in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.